All right, and we're back from our short break. And um, I didn't lose anybody here in my studio today. I think we're all kind of interested in like what makes a good show. And um, I'm interested in that as well as we continue to make On Wisconsin and, and add value to this particular program. But I love talking to other people because that's where I, I, I hear great ideas. And uh, hopefully we bring some of those to this show as well. So I'm going to move down the line here to my left is Simran. And you had a pretty unique idea um, for your show, and I want to hear a little bit about it. So can you can you uh, kind of start over and, and uh, give give our audience an idea of what what you're talking about? Um, yeah. So uh, the idea for this show came from uh, a day where I was shadowing, or I guess I mean I don't know. I was really I was hanging out with my young cousin. And um, he was reading a book, surprisingly. In this day and age, we find kids on their phones or their tablets or something electronic. Anyways, he was reading this book. Um, it was a, might have been, I think it was Greek mythology or something. It was Percy Jackson. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I remember reading this back in um, elementary school. Yeah, and I think I think Disney like made some movies mm-hmm. or, or- yeah. Yeah. Or was it Nickelodeon or Disney? Some, it was some off. Yeah, but I, I see it. Yeah. And I was spending time with my family over Thanksgiving, and it's a great time because one one's in elementary, one's in middle school, and one's in high school. Yeah. And so I kind of hear all these different things, and one of them did mention the Percy Jackson series. Mm-hmm. All right, sorry to cut you off. <laughs> Continue, please. But um, the inspiration came from the, the enjoyment of reading this mythology, and... Uh, Coming to UW-Madison, I, I am a biology major. I have a lot of science classes on my, on my schedule, and I don't have I, the, the time uh, to, to just spend uh, reading books or learning about different cultures. And what I enjoyed doing throughout high school was learning about different people through, through the stories that their parents and their grandparents taught them. So this show will be comparing cultures from around the world. I have yet to come up with a name that sounds uh, spiffy. <laughs> so you're kind of where uh, Kellen is right now, yeah. and you don't have the name yet. I mean, I, I think I was discussing this with my friend. It's a small but vast world. I don't know. <laughs> but What about um, just small but vast? Small but vast. Ooh, that's nice. Nice. Sometimes like the, the simple free. thing works, you know? Yeah. Short and sweet, as they say. But maybe the name right off the bat isn't the most important thing. No. Like You really want to flesh out this idea mm-hmm. and, and fill it with content, and you're, but you're focused in on, on a specific uh, genre, if you will. Yeah, so storytelling. Um, I think the, the beauty in the, radios, in the radio shows is that they can bring so much life to to just speaking. You can give so much imagery to the words you speak on the radio. And so I would I would hope to be able to bring that back with the storytelling. Um, like in the movies, they have the, the actors that don't act on screen, but they make the sounds and they bring the movie to life. So that's what I would like to accomplish as well. Would you do any uh, 
sound effects? Definitely, definitely. Um, for uh, the air check tap I had to do, um, I tried to make the sound of rain and it didn't work. <laughs> it's not easy sound to make. And for our audience listening in, um, air track tape, air check? Air check, air, air track. track. Something like that. <laughs> um, it, it's the bit of audio that we make that usually never is actually played over the radio, but it's part of the training process here at WSUM uh, to uh, make sure that our DJs are familiar with how to use the equipment and how to use the software and, and you know, basically how to make a show. Um, interestingly enough, I've done a lot of uh, audio art myself as a producer and sound engineer and Foley artist, and I know how difficult it is to get a good recording of rain. Mm -hmm. It requires uh, special microphones and special placements uh, with special weather patterns if you're relying upon organic sounds. I guess some people could morph it digitally and kind of Uh, do their own way. You can wrinkle a plastic bag while the sink is running and you can record that and that's how disney did it so you know it's good and i think they use like foil for thunder somehow you got to keep it like before it gets all crinkled and falling apart and you wriggle it or perhaps it's like photo stock paper some sort of flat thing that you wriggle and you make storm sounds and then you just reduce the like decibels so it's more nuanced than it is difficult because, I mean, they've been doing it with ancient radio equipment for as long as there's been, like, sound sampling, right? So, Oh, sure. Audio is such a fine art, I believe. Um, and, you know, really, sound science is, is the more, uh, I don't know, among sound engineers, I think, is, is a preferred title. At least it is for me because... There really is an art to it, but there's also a science to it as well. You can really uh, get very technical very quickly. Uh, I, I don't know. One of the very first things that I learned, uh, but has taken me in my entire career to really get a better practice of, is that less really is more. You know, it really is all about the technique more than it is about fixing something in post. And so that's why every producer on the set or whatever project will always cringe when someone says, oh, we'll fix it in post. Um, the better way is to get a better audio capture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you won't have to use a, a compressor or some other type of dynamic processing True. equalizers and things of that nature or to actually find the right microphone with the right cardioid type. And again, very technical stuff. But of course, every single microphone on the market has um, the thing that it is intended for best uh, some of microphones can do a wide range of things, uh, but again, less is more. The less effects, the less processing, you know. Uh, but the technology is great, mm-hmm. too, so don't get me wrong. I like using both. Um, all that to say, yeah, I'm liking these show ideas, and any ideas that you have for us here at On Wisconsin, feel free to email us at onwisconsin at wsum.wisc.edu. Our email box has been flooding with uh, people who are interested in our program who would like to volunteer. We're um, starting to put together a list of people uh, to reach out to for our uh, 2019 welcome uh, event. 
And so we're always looking for those volunteers who are interested in talking about the weather, sports, entertainment, news. It's a full-spectrum variety news show. I think that this would be a good time to listen to some vintage on Wisconsin. What do you guys think? I, I want to... I want to hear about Allison's show, too, and I know that Elliot had a show idea as well. So maybe we'll play some vintage on Wisconsin and, you know, kind of uh, uh, honor uh, uh, UW band director Mike LeCron tonight as well as talking about uh, good radio shows. What is it to be a, an awesome podcast? So let's, uh, let's listen to this a little bit if we have it queued up. I want to be with you. All right, I like it. Starts with like a familiar song, you know, and then they go into their uh, legal ID where they do the the call sign and the disclaimer. This is their original theme song. I have this track. This is so cute. (laughs) Hi, I'm Tammy Baldwin. Hey, everybody, this is Christopher Titus. We are the Madison Radicals. Hey, I'm comedian Julia McCullough. And you're listening to On Wisconsin. And you are listening to On Wisconsin. Sarah Hopeful. You're listening to WSUM 91.7 FM. They had a lot of, like, you big names like, here in their uh, intro. Yeah. 91.7 On Wisconsin has a great history, I think. This is Jay Mathis. Yeah. I'm Sam Ness. Hey, this is Taz Hopkins. Hi, this is Anna Vogelzang. Yeah, yeah, I know those people. I'm Peter Mulvey. This is Jeffrey James. This is Connor Wisconsin. Brennan. I'm, I'm Sam Sardinia. On Wisconsin. Well, I heard a couple musicians and Tammy Baldwin, for example. This is Russell Wilson, quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. And we listen to WSUM on 91.7 FM. Who got that interview? Uh, previous cohorts of On Wisconsin. Sweet. The show continues I to grow. Enjoy my show. Enjoy this show. On Wisconsin Radio on WSUM 91.7 FM Madison. I'm your host, Sarah Hopeful. Holding okay, the so there's a legal ID. Today. You have to do Thanks that to at the beginning of your show. you got to start out, you know, reading you the, uh, the station call numbers. And then um, we always have that disclaimer, which mine is pre-recorded, but that basically shields the station from the content of the program, um, giving people plenty of room with their freedom of speech to talk about what they want to. ...marks the 42nd anniversary of the Varsity Band Spring Concert, which will take place this Thursday through Saturday at the Cole Center. This year's show includes selections from The Eagles, Benny Kane, Frank Sinatra, TV's Greatest Theme Songs, and Les Miserables, as well as all of your fifth quarter and Wisconsin favorites. Today we sit down with UW Band Director Mike Leckrone. Lacron has been at the University of Wisconsin for 47 years now. His influence on the band and the university over the past four decades have made him famous all across the state and around the Big Ten. He sat down with us to discuss the fifth quarter, his origin story, and the evolution of the spring concerts. Take a listen. And they have that nice sound bed in there before they bring it in. In fact, why don't we listen in for a little bit? Right now we are in the studio with W Band Director Mike Lacron. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. My pleasure, I'm sure. So that you created the fifth quarter back in the day in order to keep people in the games, right? How did that come about? And Sarah wants to know, did you honestly just lose control of the band one day and they just did a fifth quarter and you're like, oh, this was kind of cool. Let's just repeat this. Because it really, it really is just organized chaos and it works so well. It, well, it's, it, uh, when people ask me about it, I call it planned anarchy, uh, <laughs> it, it, which, is, it, which is a little bit what, <laughs> what happens. It's, there's sort of a structure to it. Uh, how it got started, well... Bands all over the country at the end of, of the game go on the field and play for a while. They usually play their, 
show. They repeat the show that they did or play some standard numbers that they'll play. And we did the same thing. It's the, the idea of it, where it originated from, was bands wanted to be on the field because they didn't want to have to march through the crowd, mm. play on the field for a while, let the crowd disperse, and then you can get out of the stadium easily. And that's the whole concept behind it. Mm. We put the start of the fifth quarter actually at 1978. It's when we started calling it the fifth quarter. But we would go on the field and we would play what everybody other band did. We'd play school songs. We'd play repeat the show that we did at halftime and so forth. And then, very frankly, as I like to tell it, and this, there's a gr- degree of truth, I got bored. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I thought the crowd was bored, too. And so we just started very gently putting in. <laughs> the first thing that we put in was the beer barrel polka. That was the very first thing that sort of broke the norm. The crowd was somewhat a little more, and, and I, I would let the band, some of the people in the band dance the polka, and we'd, we'd sort of play around. And it sort of grew from there. We did some other things that we don't do anymore, things like, well, jump into the woodside, which we still play right. at, at uh, hockey games. We used to do that at the fifth. What really started it was one, one year, it was in 1978, and that's the reason I've placed it there. We were on the field playing regular football game, and Wisconsin was behind. We were playing Oregon, Oregon State. And we were behind like three touchdowns. Well, we played You Said It All, the Bud song, as people mm-hmm. like to call it. And we got a touchdown. <laughs> and so we let the game go. We played it again, and we got another touchdown. And we wound up winning that game, and each time we won it, we'd play You Said It All. And after it was over, then athletic director Elroy Hirsch got all sorts of mail saying, you know, that was very dangerous because the upper deck was shaking. Everybody was dancing when we started huh. playing it. He sent a note to me and said, we, we're going to prohibit playing You Said It All. I said, well, well let's, let's see if we can't come up with some way to keep it involved. So we made a very specific announcement during the game, sort of tongue-in-cheek, that said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the band will not be playing You Said It All during the game. But at the end of the game, we're going to allow, I think we said, five minutes for people to get out of the, out of the upper deck if they are fearful of being it, and then the band will be playing, you said it all. Well, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek announcement, and we made a big deal out of it. I looked at my watch, and, and, and we would start it. Well, well, what happened was everybody stayed because it was like that curiosity factor. What's really going on? And they stayed and felt the upper deck did shake. I mean, there's a, there's a motion to it. There's a natural motion to it. And so we would make that announcement and then play it, and the people would cheer, and, and that happened. And that's a point. There was a reporter for the State Journal, a sports reporter named Glenn Miller, and he, he started calling it the fifth quarter because people mm-hmm. stayed to see this phenomenon of the upper deck possibly shaking. A journalist did it. A jur- yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He, he's, the one who, he's the one who named it. My part of it was I felt like it was, could very easily be a one-trick pony. So that's mm-hmm. when we started adding some things. We made more of a production out doing the beer barrel polka. And we would add crowd participation things, some of which caught on, some of which we had to dump. Mm-hmm. The Macarena. Are you old enough to remember <laughs> the Macarena? Oh, I love the Macarena. Well, we used, to, we used to try to do that, but the, the students would just boo every time we played it. <laughs> it, was it was too popular, yeah, probably. That's right. Yeah. It, was, it was too much an in thing, and they, they were above doing that. So, mm-hmm. But we had fun doing different things. Like, when did just, the chicken dance get in there? The chicken dance came to me because our crew coach came back. He said over in, in uh, Europe, he said, in the bars and so they do this really crazy dance. 
And I said, <laughs> he said, it'd be great for you to add to the fifth quarter. And he came into my office and I, I could still see him there flapping his arms and say, this is the way they do it. And I said, well, I said, we'll try it. We'll give it a try. And I had no thought that it would catch on, but we did it. And I know that they do that at almost every wedding anymore. Mm-hmm. Somebody's yeah. going to do the chicken dance. But I really loved this interview. When I was preparing to take on this show on Wisconsin, um, I listened to every episode from the previous year to get an idea of what it was all about. And then I found out that they had these wonderful interviews with these wonderful guests. And this is probably my favorite one to listen to because if you listen to Mike talk, he talks in such a way he really knows how to tell a story. And so I didn't want to cut that interview short of the chicken dance because I thought that that was pretty fun. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think that that's what you're looking for with talk radio is you want to be able to tell stories uh, in a way that it's very descriptive in people's minds and kind of brings them into the room. Uh, So, again, hats off uh, to our our, uh, band director and, um, you know, a, a lot of those things that we really cherish about our football games here. Uh, was um, coming from uh, that marching band department. It's it's phenomenal. So um, we are eh, almost three uh, three quarters into the hour, and we still haven't really um, you know talked to our, our uh, commentator guest Elliot. Hello. Uh, who probably about a year ago, year and a half, started talking to me about. Um, creating a podcast or really you know what it what is it to like push your content out there in the real world because when I first met you you're working on a number of things you're working on an animation um, you're doing some writing mm-hmm. you had a lot of these really yeah. kooky drawings which I thought were so neat because you mixed characters from different TV shows into like uh, one one thing or your own creator, uh, your own creations came to life on the page with lots of colors. I remember the narwhal, who's also a detective. Um, that was a really cool character. Oh, yeah. um, and then you know, it's it's all with this idea of like, you know, how do I make uh, a cartoon, for lack of a better term? Yeah. You know, how do I make a moving picture, mm-hmm. animation? Um, and so I suggested, well, you know, you got to really break it down. Um, yeah, it changes by the uh, fundamentals, <laughs> and I and I brought you into a world that I don't even know if you were thinking in the beginning uh, was the world that you were going into. But I said, you know what, I want to do movies too. But I think we started the radio. Probably, I've been told I have a face for radio, so <laughs> <laughs> which is a classic, um, uh, an oldie but a goodie. Yeah. But what are the new things in radio? New things in radio podcast is like the new radio and it's like a baby that the radio had with the internet basically and it's great there's all sorts of stuff there's fictional storytelling and there's obscure historical facts that people don't get to explore in high school um or any any scholastic organization you know you get to hear things that are normally only privileged to historians or geneticists or um you know that's this is the two well what happened to like satellite radio for example satellite radio isn't that just like the old version of spotify like maybe i mean i i always remember satellite radio as being the thing without 
I guess when I think advertisement, when I think of satellite radio, I just think of those little commercials with the dog, and I think of the coffee house versions of pop songs. That's like what I think of when I think of satellite radio. I don't think it has. Maybe there's there's probably a lot of talk radio on satellite radio, but when do you use it? Like when you're in an Uber. Well, you're not in control of the radio then, and that's like a thing. Like people are doing that as often as they are driving and I guess people could listen to satellite radio on home. I think it's just like a more expensive version of what a podcast is. Like a lot of podcasts are free. You know, what's better than free? Right. No, I agree. Um it's it's kind of the price you cannot beat. Yeah. Um satellite radio being a subscription service um kind of uh made a way for uh radio personalities like Howard Stern for example, to uh, continue their show without worry about the FCC. Um, but again, it, it alienates because it's, it's like having HBO. I mean, it was a subscription service that you had to pay for, mm-hmm. and not all cars were equipped for it. You know, you'd have to buy the modules yeah. to, you know, hook up to your car. And, uh, you know, the, that monthly bill um, kind of makes you wonder or makes you think like, hey, I could still turn to FM AM radio and get a lot of great content um, I listen to a lot of NPR, WPR myself. Um, podcasts come at you from a lot of different directions. But too. yeah, now there's podcasts yeah. because people are able to hook up their internet mobile devices to yeah. their car audio or anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could be taking a jog mm-hmm. and have it you know, connected to those mobile devices. Don't jog while watching things. We, we don't encourage it. I've seen it. I've seen, seen I've you, seen people I've seen on treadmills I've also binge seen watching their favorite TV shows <laughs> <laughs> of this exact these exact instances. Another internet trend. Yes, watching um, all the fails. Oh man, and things like that. You Fail know, cast. We'll they just have talk an about entire failing and be like those people. I've seen it. I've seen it. There's entire directories on the internet for yes. people um, doing things that um, are. You know, we would look at it and say, well, don't do that. That's dangerous. And then sure enough, something occurs. Well, yeah, I guess if people didn't do stupid things, there'd be no internet, right? Like, Well, I mean, that's one of the things that made their way. But remember, before the internet, America's Funniest Home Videos, right? We yeah, had a thing for that. You're right. That was like the original fail blog. I agree. And the country was obsessed with it. They had a host and a stage with like dazzling lights to to celebrate the failure. Right, and you could win prizes even. Right, for like cash. For for fo- for recording your loved ones failing like haha my dad was in a water skiing accident like that's actually really serious. <laughs> like he could have whiplash or something. But I think the 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 most heartwarming the ones were for. like the ones involving children and birthday cakes or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, like they fall into a birthday cake. Right. Right. Things of that nature. But yeah, you're right. I mean, um for whatever reason people like watching those things. Yeah. Um maybe it makes us feel more human cuz we can we can kind of relate. And then we turned to the internet and Bob Saget got really raunchy in his stand up. Well, where do you go? You're you're so wholesome. And I think he was uh, sort of a, he was a real comedian before Full House, right? (laughs) Yes. And, you know, comedians kind of push the envelope in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And that, I think, was part of the joke on Full House, Mm -hmm. was that you have this character who is a real comedian playing this 
super wholesome figure. Yeah. And I think that that was sort of like the inside joke there. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if there was too much of a departure from his from his normal shtick. I think he he had probably had to wait <laughs> a certain length of time before he could make jokes about his experience on set yeah, in itself. But you know, he was a great uh, he was a great host for AMV. Mm-hmm. Uh, America's wait, what was that? America's America's home funniest, funniest home video. AFHV. Ah, all these acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> How acrimonious. I attended a media summit seminar. Um, it was the midterm media discussion. Oh, the MMS, MSS. Sorry. More acronyms, <laughs> right? I don't think they actually use the acronym, but it was put oh, on gosh. by the uh, University of Wisconsin Madison's uh, School of uh, or it was the Ethics Journalism Department. And they put on this great thing um, right after the midterms uh, to talk about okay, where, where does journalism go from here? And um, not to the White House, apparently. Well, it, actually, that was part of the conversation. Um, and they had, the whole video is on Wisconsin Eye. Um, so for people who are interested to know what that conversation was about, there was a Q&A at the end. Uh, but part of that discussion was, hey, if you're in the Midwest, you know, how do you cover what's happening on the coast, East Coast, West Coast? How do you cover what's happening in the White House? Do you send people out? Do you get press passes? Do you report back? You know, what do you do in the, in that well, you know, if you're here and, you know, we're no longer in an election cycle, so it's... Don't you think Trump's been really good at covering what's happening in the White House, though? You know what I mean? Like, in a different sense, like covering it up? We, I think in the media, there are all different perspectives on the happenings of any White House. And this one in particular has um, had uh, a major conversation regarding the media. And so I, I don't know... Uh, to what end you go to uh, when talking about, you know, White House cover-ups. But, I mean, <laughs> if you if you recall, you know, uh, former White Houses, you know, there's always this um, a tendency with am- administrations to uh, construct a narrative that um, puts them in the best light. There's and I think that's true for any company or any corporation. They, they want to be a part of that. But then the journalists have to go there and do their due diligence in coming up with a credible news source with reliable sources yeah as I, well so i you know but coming from the midwest how do you discuss those topics how do you like discuss the news unbiasedly or like what's actually going on unbiasedly well sure cuz if you're not there podcasts podcasts you know, just like people who have the resources to uh you know, there are people that wind up in fortunate circumstances that report on things and like that's what they use their energy to do. And they don't they they have wealth through other means, through their ingenuity and their business acumen. But they they fund journalistic investigating as part of their um, brand. And a podcast sometimes isn't necessarily about profit. It's more about like a person's personal brand and there's lots of podcasts that are trying to branch away from hyper partisan news and um a lot of journalists if they get to a certain point in their career they have to like make compromises to succeed at places like fox or cnn or uh i don't watch a lot of mainstream network news but but you get your news through podcasts yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. 
Well, interestingly enough, um, and and we got to cut to our our last break well, here uh, in in a moment. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, at that media midterm media um, uh, summit seminar, whatever it was, it was some type of discussion. Um, afterward, I was talking to other journalists. Um, and it was funny when I mentioned on Wisconsin had a podcast because they were looking at me like, well, what's a podcast? And I think that that sort of goes to this idea that maybe podcast is part of the wave of the future for news, journalism, or radio um, in general. I love being on the airwaves, but I think our audience also appreciates being able to go back and listen to an episode with ease by searching it uh, wherever they get their podcast. So again, shout out to uh, WSUM News Team for giving us their opening segment. Um, they they have their own podcast uh, where people get their podcast, and so does On Wisconsin. If you search for WSUM or On Wisconsin, um, they're really easy to find. I do want to jump into this last break and hear from Allison. So um, we're going to do that now when we come back. Uh, I want to hear Allison's uh, show idea and have a little bit more conversation about uh, the future of radio as well. <laughs> 